since I lost my superpowers. It's a job just to puff up this flat tire, Batman. We're all washed up, Superman. All I have left is this broken down Batmobile. Ha! Our scheme worked. Batgirl and I have made those heroes husbands. <laughs> Welcome back to another rousing episode of Supergirl Power Hour. I'm here with my rodentious co-host, James. Wow, you had to pound the thesaurus for that one. <laughs> and my mouse-like special guest, Alex. Meep meep. <laughs> Classic Alex. So I know we left y'all with a cliffhanger and all, but uh, we've actually set up another super special this time, covering the first few times that Supergirl teamed up with everybody's favorite flying rodent. For this special, we have brought our friend and avid Bat fan Alex along for the ride. So, introduce yourself, Alex. Hello. I'm obsessed with Batman. I'm very sad. <laughs> and you might recognize Alex from his over 100-episode tenure on the Dearly Departed off-panel podcast, and for his monthly appearances as host of Graphic Novelism, which also features me. And you're real. Anyway. We're starting with an issue that we skipped over on our way through the Action Comics run. And that That's right. Supergirl Power Hour has become unstuck in time. Yes. Actually, we did cover a story out of this issue. It was the Superman as an old man imaginary story. You mean the old man of Metropolis. Yes. Sorry, that's that my favorite one. title ever. <laughs> um... It was from Action Comics 270, which is what this story is from as well. Again, that issue was published in November of 1960. This story was written by Jerry Siegel and drawn by Jim Mooney. And the story is entitled Supergirl's Busiest Day. And before we go into the actual story, I just want to talk for a moment about the splash page that opens this. Because <laughs> this is way more action than there actually is in the story. This is more action than there is in most movies. Like, three third acts are happening at once. In front of Supergirl's horrified eyes, Lori the mermaid is being attacked by a squid, a giant ball of kryptonite is falling on Crypto, and Batman and Robin are apparently falling just from space. Well, those are space rocks surrounding them, James. <laughs> yeah, they're following Crypto. They were trying to save him. <laughs> and what is Batman saying, Alex? Help us. We're Batman and Robin. Don't you know who we are? Save us first. Uh, that's what's funny is, like, I like how he has to point out who he and Robin are <laughs> in full costume. Well, I just love how Batman values his own life more than that of an actual living mermaid. Well, no, no, no. No, what, what I take from it is that Batman is so insane at this point. <laughs> that he feels the need to address that he and Robin, or Batman and Robin, before actually addressing the fact that he needs to be helped. We're Batman and Robin. We can't die this way. This would be a stupid death. And Crypto, oh. poor Crypto, just in the corner, just being pelted with a giant, a singular giant kryptonite rock. Surprise, kryptonite. Which he could probably dodge. I mean, he has the entire planet Earth. <laughs> 
Meanwhile, Supergirl is just looking at all of this with like a cartoon I face going on. It does briefly look like her murdered head from last episode has briefly come back. Yes. Uh, uh, so this is Supergirl's busiest day. So, because we're going back in time, we are throwing Linda back into the orphanage. And uh, we open with her helping another orphan cheat at golf so that he gets adopted by a famous golfer. Now, I know you guys don't generally go panel by panel on this, but I just want to point out the very first panel where this kid has apparently just pushed himself against the wall and the door, (laughs) just listening in on the other side while talking to Kara. Uh... And, like, the way she cheats is she uses her super breath to make him get several holes in one in a row. <laughs> oh, oh, let's let's bring up the fact she uses her Linda Lee robot to cover for her at the orphanage. Because that's just a thing. So after this startling act of dishonesty, we see Kara and some of her other orphanage buddies watching Superman apparently destroy a building on television. I'm not sure what's going on there. I mean... The kids are thinking that he's catching it, but we all know it's it, Zack Snyder's Superman, so... Also, he's waving at the camera while doing it, so it's like, you know he's just like, ha-ha! Well, the dialogue says he's catching a falling building, but that's not what's communicated on the screen. There's, like, a podium he's smashing the building into? I'm not sure what's going on. There are innocent bystanders that are just horrified. And Linda is very sad because she has to perform all of her feats... Around the orphanage, helping to change the lives of ungrateful, fatherless children. When suddenly, their mothers are still around, they just don't want them. Wow, that went dark. Oh yeah, because these are such cheerful comics. (laughs) The ones we're reading today are, James. The ones we are reading today are. So, as she laments, she goes outside to the empty playground (laughs) and sees an x-ray beam melt a mountaintop. Because science. <laughs> and this this beam is just out of nowhere. It's yellow. It's melting into a mountaintop and creating magma. Uh, it's No, it's actually melting into a copper ore. But it's just, it looks like lava is coming down and just trickling perilously over the orphanage. It doesn't look like lava. Because what this is, is Crypto the Superdog. And if it weren't for the helpful exposition that this is an X-ray beam... It would just look like Crypto is lifting his super leg above the planet Earth and just letting it rain down. No. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. So Linda does use her x-ray vision and telescopic vision to see that Crypto is indeed in trouble in using his supervision to melt the mountaintop. Learning well from his master Superman, Crypto expresses himself solely through destruction. And what has happened is he has been caught by a flying saucer that has been going around the galaxy collecting space animals for a zoo. Damn it, Benicio Del Toro. And it just so happens that the cage ball that has captured Crypto is connected to the flying saucer by means of surprise kryptonite. (laughs) So it's causing Crypto to lose his strength and unable to break out. So what Supergirl does to get him out is she finds the yellow space missile that defeated Hal Jordan in his first appearance (laughs) and chucks it at the cage ball and breaks it open so that Crypto can break free. 
But no sooner than she's released the super pooch does she get a telepathic message from Lori, mermaid of Atlantis. She's calling for Supergirl because she knows that Superman is not available and she needs desperate help. Kara gets down to Atlantis and finds out that Mallow, the escaped criminal, has been wrecking havoc on Atlantis stealing things and using Neptune's trident to stop the law enforcement officers who are dressed kind of like seahorses? Oh, my first impression was that they were Johnny Quest henchmen. This is just what they're doing whenever they're not menacing Race Bannon. They're protecting the borders of Atlantis. I just want to point out that Mallow has an amazing beard. He does. (laughs) And... The Atlantean police officers or protective squad or whatever you want to call them shoot guns that shoot lightning bolts because that's safe in the ocean. Science. And uh, we get one of Kara's favorite pastimes right here, and that is abusing giant mammals because Lori summons a pair of whales to attack Mallow and they slam into what seems to be a brick wall. And they, so. I assume that those whales are just dead now. <laughs> How many more, Supergirl? How many more of God's little creatures have to die? Well, that's the point. She doesn't kill God's little creatures. She kills God's very large creatures. She's just paving the way to her becoming the dominant predator of Earth. Supergirl charges at Mallow, and much to her amazement, she spins away doing cartwheels. Ah! It just looks like she's doing the wave from every possible position. So... Supergirl comes up with a plan to capture Mallow, and that is to take Lori's priceless heirloom necklace and use it as bait. And she tosses it into a a sea cave so that Mallow has to plant Neptune's trident in the dirt so he can go after the necklace. And it just so happens that the sea cave is inhabited by giant squids that release ink blinding him temporarily so that Supergirl can quickly make a dozen more tridents, jam them all into the ground so that Mallow can't figure out which one is the real one, and then capture him. Ah, the old underwater trident match game trick. Ah, classic. My only question is, if you had time to make a dozen different tridents and jam them all in the ground... Why didn't you just grab the real one? Well, much like her cousin Superman, Supergirl likes to defeat her enemies using cruel pranks. So she leaves Mallow in the hands of the Atlantean protective squad and goes back to the orphanage, lamenting that her day has been busy, but it's probably going to get easier now. So Kara is in a room with, uh, I presume, like one of the overseers of the orphanage and another orphan when all of a sudden on the radio this is batman cutting in on the network broadcast with my belt radio (coughs) calling superman robin and i need your help at once we're trapped in a bat cave cave in (coughs) okay i don't know what's funnier (laughs) that batman needs superman's help to rescue him from his own house or that the entire world knows about it because he doesn't have superman's phone number (laughs) <laughs> Superman, help! I've fallen and I can't get up! I just like how that completely destroys the urban legend status. <laughs> I just imagine a week later, like, Batman's, like, battling some kind of goon, and he's like, Why am I supposed to be afraid of you? You fell down in your mansion last week, and Superman had to come get you like you were my grandmother. 
So Linda notices that her hollow tree is being guarded by a hunter. <laughs> well, I guess it's hunting robot Linda like sport. <laughs> so she can't summon her Linda robot to take her place. So she has to come up with another way to get away. And what she does is she sucks all the air out of the room so that all the other people in the room fall unconscious. Supergirl, no! They will have irreparable brain damage. And then flies out of the storeroom and shuts the door so quickly that more oxygen doesn't have time to get in. <laughs> so she's just out for murder at this point. <laughs> that was some straight-up purple man shit. Well, and apparently this door is airtight. And well, they so, wanted to keep orphans from releasing any dangerous toxins into the outside world. So Supergirl gets to Gotham and to Wayne Manor, and instead of going through any of the normal entrances to the Batcave, she does what she does best and burrows through the earth. I just love how, apparently, between issues, Superman revealed Batman and Robin's secret identity to his cousin. <laughs> just never missing well, an opportunity to betray. Well, here's something we haven't seen because we haven't gotten a tour of the fortress, but he also has a room set up for Batman and Robin where it just has their civilian names in parentheses like it does in the <laughs> comics every time we get Linda, Supergirl Lee. That's my insurance against you, Bruce. <laughs> Don't you ever betray me. So it's Bruce, parentheses, Batman Wayne, and Dick, parentheses, Bat Robin Grayson? Yes. That's stupid. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's Robin Dick Grayson. That's where Nolan got it from. <laughs> in this panel, I just want to point out, Batman and Robin are just in the middle of the Batcave, just nowhere near any entrances. Like, they didn't <laughs> attempt to get out. They just suddenly fell over, and it's like, ugh! Well, Robin's apparently dead, and Batman's just, like, trying to get up. Like, he's like he's had a bit too much to drink. Like, hold on, hold on. Just let me... Just, uh, I'll justice in a minute. Alex, we all know the story behind the penny. I want to know what the deal is with the cannon. <laughs> that was when Batman traveled back to the Civil War to battle the same T-Rex that he later fossilized and turned into a robot <laughs> T-Rex. I don't think that's an actual story, but I can see that being an actual story. That's the weird thing. <laughs> that T-Rex was John Wilkes Booth. So after she digs them out, she returns to the orphanage and leaves the door open just enough for air to start coming in. And the other, the other two orphans wake up and realize that they're very dizzy, and so they open the window. Why does everything look like pain? So, as she's about to go to bed, Superman uses his super ventriloquism to summon her to the Fortress of Solitude. And when she gets there, he immediately tells her to change out of her Supergirl costume. Which horrifies Linda because every because she has some serious PTSD from literally every previous encounter with Superman. Like she literally says, "Is he going to order me to leave Earth forever?" Like Again, he did that, those seventeen other times. Paul French would be happy to know that there is a choke here, <laughs> but no, it's because he has come up with a gift to give Linda, and it's a makeup kit because she's old enough to wear makeup now, and. It has a special lipstick case that she can use to compress her costume into so that she can hide her costume. Okay, so I want to call out Superman for his being a patriarchal douche canoe here, but I do have to admit having your costume in a lipstick case is pretty goddamn fierce. But the Flash <laughs> wished he were that fabulous. So she's very happy that 
he's not mad at her. And then he tells her to put her costume back on and he'll be right back. And he comes back with a giant freaking cake. Like, it is the size of a person (laughs) that says, Happy Birthday, Supergirl. And all of the people that she saved earlier are also here. Uh, So Batman and Robin have brought her a Batgirl costume. Which is never referenced again. (laughs) Crypto brought her a flower. And the mermaids of Atlantis brought her giant pearls. We had to kill a giant clam for these. So in all of the hecticness of the day, Supergirl forgot that it was her own birthday, her sweet 16. And Superman's idea of a birthday present is pushing his loved ones to the physical and emotional breaking point. Which I, I guess is how most birthday parties tend to go. Well, and he lets Supergirl know that he wasn't really away from Earth, uh, that everything that happened today was faked. So there was a remote-controlled spaceship that Crypto pretended to get caught by, Superman pretended to be Mallow the villain, and Batman and Robin caused their own cave-in. Which is just horrifying, because you, you imagine Superman just has blackmail to cause Bruce and Dick to do that. Well, he does. He has those statues. <laughs> I just wish there was a panel of Batman and Robin, like, oh, don't worry, we were just pretending to be unconscious. I wasn't. (laughs) What's going on? Who's Supergirl? And uh, the last present that gets presented to her is her very own room in the Fortress of Solitude, where she has a statue and pictures of her as Linda and pictures of her as Supergirl, because, again, only Superman's secret identity matters. And a lovely photograph of Krypton exploding. And Argo City flying away from it. Hey, remember that planet you called home that died? And then that other planet you called home that also died? Wouldn't it be really bad if the planet you called home now died? Never disappoint me, Supergirl. It's all in your hands. Who wants cake? So our next comic... Jesus, now we're getting into the terror. That was just a taste of how dumb these issues get, because it only gets dumber from here. (laughs) It gets bat dumb. Very bat dumb. (laughs) So, our next issue is World's Finest Comics, number 167, from June of 1967. So we're jumping several years into the future now. And the writer is Carrie Bates. The artist is Kurt Swan, and the title of the story is The New Superman-Batman Team. And this is an imaginary tale in which Clark Kent becomes Batman, and Superman is a scientifically enhanced Lex Luthor. That's right, Alex. Speeding Bullets, 1967 edition. So, the story opens like most Superman stories do. With his origin of getting sent from the planet Krypton in a rocket, and he punches his way out of his rocket ship right in front of a glowing gold meteor. And and this doesn't count as a surprise kryptonite, because honestly, baby Superman should have seen that coming. (laughs) Um, He gets found by Jonathan and Martha. The only difference is that because he got exposed to gold kryptonite, his powers have been removed permanently. Super Baby is super no more. He is just your normal alien kid. Me, average. Except he's not average. He's still a super athlete, despite not having superpowers. And he won Smallville the state championship in basketball. All the while, his best friend is scientific genius Lex Luthor, who is the smartest kid in school. 
Lex even shows Clark his special X-ray spectacles. You'd have it, Clark. If only you hadn't met up with that gold kryptonite. Shut up, narrator. <laughs> Stop so, taunting imaginary Clark. We cut to Lex drinking a serum that will hopefully make him superpowered, and he just happens to have an indestructible super action suit. Which looks exactly like the Superman costume. <laughs> Including the S, which just makes Lex look like the biggest tool. It's us so, or sexy. Also, the next I, morning, just, I just want to make sure the audience at home realizes that's not our phrasing. The text literally says indestructible action hyphen suit. Indestructible action suit. <laughs> indestructible action suit. So the next In- morning. Okay. The next morning, a plane is crashing into the school. When out of nowhere comes this weirdo in a blue and red action suit who catches the plane and lands it because he has super strength and flight. And Lana and Clark witness this, and the narrator happily tells us, In this story, Lana Lang will never suspect Clark of being Superboy. Ho oh, ho, I'm so amused with myself and my time-space awareness. So the new Superboy does a whole bunch of different super feats. And Lana starts suspecting that it's Lex, but Clark doesn't believe that. Also, I want to point out, the narrator makes it very clear that even though this is an imaginary tale, Lana's feminine intuition (laughs) cues her in on something not being quite right. A woman's uh, intuition does not bend to your feeble laws of time-space. And when she accuses Lex, Clark's response is, Lex is Superboy? Come off it, Lana. If he has superpowers, I'm from outer space. Clark doesn't dream how true his words are. Laying it a bit thick, aren't you, reality? (laughs) So, we cut to Ma and Pa's general store, where they get held up by an armed gunman, and Pa Kent is having none of it. So he gets shot, and then Martha gets shot. And Ma and Pa Kent bleed to death on the floor, because Superboy can't get them to the hospital in time. This is terrible. Like Jonathan Kent dies in agony, trying to tell Clark that he's from another world. And at that moment, Clark swears to dedicate his life to stopping men like the man who murdered his parents. Turns around and sees Superboy flying past the window. Yes, father, I shall become Superboy. No, he sees a bat. Because it's the middle of the day in Smallville at the hospital, and there's a bat. Smallville has a terrible infestation problem. <laughs> hey, I prefer the strange secret of the duplicate Superboys. After the funeral, Clark moves in with his rich Uncle Kendall, who has never been mentioned in any other <laughs> Superman story. What I love is Clark is apparently leaving early from his own parents' funeral. Later, dudes! And he moves in with Rich Uncle Kendall in Gotham City. And Lex Luthor becomes a famed reporter at the Daily Planet. Using the Peter Parker trick on Perry White of taking photographs of himself. (laughs) And Clark Kent inherits his uncle's real estate and builds a giant bat cave underneath it like Bruce Wayne did in the real world. And Alex, this is the part... That made you officially done with this universe. Okay. So, 
Clark gets adopted by his his uncle Kendall, and Kendall dies, and he inherits everything, gets the back of all that. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine, fine, fine. Comic books, comic books. His uncle Kendall keeps the employee of of one Alfred Pennyworth, who just happens to be in service of Clark Kent at the moment he decides to become Batman. Alfred is the butler to this version of Batman because rich person. Does every rich family in Gotham City have an Alfred? Like, are they made somewhere? (laughs) Is he secretly Alpha Red? So Clark becomes Batman. And Alex, can you please read Batman's one-liners as he takes down this group of criminals in the next stage? I do believe I've put my foot in it this time. Both feet, in fact. Pardon my glove. I'm afraid it got caught in your eye. Pow! Chin up, buddy. We've really had it now. Who in blue blazes is that? Just call me Batman, boys. I like this Batman. (laughs) He's a fun guy. Batman didn't quip that much when he was Dick Grayson. This is what I imagine Chip Zdarsky's Bat Hero would be like. (laughs) (laughs) So... Lois and Lex get assigned to interview millionaire stockholder Clark Kent, which Lex explains to Lois that they were school buddies, and uh Lois says that she's only interested in her own marital status and wants to meet Batman on the dating game. Uh, old comics. They get to the stately Kent Manor, which sounds really weird. What's even weirder is that there's a shot of Clark in an ascot with a like this sport coat. Like he's he's just living the flamboyant playboy life. But it's Clark Kent. While telling Lex Luthor how disappointed he is in him. Yeah, because Lex hasn't won a Nobel Prize in physics, he's become a newspaper reporter instead. Like what and, have uh, you done, Clark? Become professionally rich? Yes. And Lex asks him if he's married, and Clark's response is, no, I haven't been hooked up yet. I'd better fix my makeup. Hmm. Which she does, right then and there. And I'm really disturbed that the only thing that ever kept Lois from being attracted to Clark in the main continuity was his lack of an enormous inherited fortune. Well, also the glasses, because he doesn't wear glasses in this reality. It's Lex Luthor who wears the glasses. So she just geek shames people. Lois and Lex drive back to Metropolis, and Clark reminds her that they have a lunch date tomorrow, because he'll be in Metropolis. Suddenly, they are chased down by a giant golden flying saucer, who immediately grabs Lois and his tractor beam, revealing Brainiac, reducer of candor! I guess since he's without Coco, uh, he's looking for a new monkey wife? Well, he is putting Lois in his intergalactic zoo, and... Go ahead. Say ook ook. Oh, it's just not the same. Super Lex flies at the flying saucer and bounces off because it has Brainiac's force field. And uh, as Lex is trying to figure out how to get in, Batman drives up. I spotted that UFO on my bat radar. What's up, Superman? What's up, Superman? Oh, Batman. Nothing can crack that force shield surrounding the ship. How could any force repel you? Wait, I might just have the solution. Superman, I want you to hit the force field again. This time, pour on all your horsepower. So, Superman launches himself at the force field just to bounce off like a rubber ball. Batman, you did! But, 
what Batman had deduced is that the force field had transferred all of its energy to that one spot to prevent Superman from getting in. So everywhere else, there was no force shield, which allowed Batman to just sneak in, use his bat laser to cut open the ship's hull, and take down Brainiac with yet another one-liner. Impossible. Nobody could have broken in here. Just call me Mr. Nobody, then. Let's see if a glove full of knuckles affects you the same way it does Earth Crooks. I just love how, even when he's Clark Kent, Batman still plays cruel mind games with those closest to him. Superman and Batman rescue Lois, and uh, Lois wants to interview Batman, and he agrees to drive her home so that she can interview him then. And showing that, like Batman's dickishness, Superman's dickishness transcends reality, Superman immediately uses his x-ray vision to look under Batman's mask. Great Scott! Batman is Clark Kent. The new crime-busting combo captures the public fancy. Look out! It's Superman and Batman! And... Clark Kent finds himself spending more and more time in Metropolis, but not to see the Man of Steel. He and Lois have hit it off, and this is the one time Lois gets her happy ending and marries Clark Kent. And then at their- Meanwhile, Lex is just watching with a little tear in his eye, thinking, only I could swap her out with some kind of gorilla. (laughs) So, at their honeymoon, (laughs) Clark says, Lois, uh, about Batman. You know I never cared for that Halloween-costumed hero. Hmm. I hope that's not true, because I am Batman. What a trick. And a treat. (laughs) Is my face red? Get set for another surprise. One I just learned a few days ago myself. Lex Luthor, what are you? Oh, no. It's true, Lois. I want to share my secret with you, the wife of my best friend. I am Superman. I'm overwhelmed. My husband and my best friend are the world's greatest heroes. What a wedding present. And then they just stare on at Lois, grinning creepily. And we don't get a follow-up. Turn the page. Sometime later. (laughs) Well, and so I want to cover one little thing here. So we're assuming a couple of years have gone by because Clark and Lois have had time to date and get married. Well, I don't know. We saw how fast Jimmy put the moves on Supergirl and that other imaginary story, so these alternate universes work very quickly. I'm gonna assume it was years, and that Lex was just a dick. (laughs) And kept his secret from Clark for years while knowing Clark's secret. (laughs) But... I just think that this version of Batman and Superman still cried while watching aliens make love. As the one constant throughout all multiverses. So, speaking of Lex Luthor being a dick Superman, this is where we meet our heroine, who has crashed to Earth in a rocket like she did in the real story, and tells Lex her origin with Argo City, and Lex explains that he's heard of Krypton from Brainiac. And she asks, well, aren't you from Krypton too? No! But he tells her that she'll need another identity, like the one he has, and he knows just the couple to adopt her. So unlike our super jerk in the main universe, Lex immediately finds a family for Supergirl. Proving once and for all that Lex Luthor is a greater man than Superman. Also, there's something that really fascinated me that goes unsaid, 
in this reality. And that's the fact that Linda is still wearing a super person costume whenever she gets out. This means that Kara's parents gave her a costume based on this really cool guy on Earth who seems pretty responsible. Remember his indestructible action suit. Mm, We respect that super science. So the family is indeed the Kents, and they give her the name Linda and say that she will be Clark's cousin who they adopt. And proving that this is a much kinder reality, Lois immediately gives her a fashionable wig. And fashionable clothes, or at least for the time. Yeah, she's not wearing those rags that she was at the orphanage. And, again, unlike our universe, Lex allows her to operate in the open immediately. She's immediately helping Superman and Batman. And uh, they take down the Toy Man, who fires a molecule dissolver ray at Batman, and it causes him to glow bright gold. I must stay away from Batman! Which is the appropriate response for Batman, I should say. So Lex scoops Batman up and carries him in his arms like he's cuddling a baby. And he asks Supergirl why she must stay away from him, and she explains that he is charged with gold kryptonite rays. And uh, she explains that it causes Kryptonians to lose all their superpowers. And uh, Lex figures out that Clark is a Kryptonian who lost his powers long ago when he encountered gold Okay, and Toyman's gun brought it out in the form of a gold kryptonite fever that is killing him. So surprise, toy kryptonite! <laughs> and Lois asks if there's any way to save her husband, and Lex is like, I can think of a way. But first, let me perform this ridiculous feat of strength. Oh! So he okay, and on to saving your husband. He builds this machine and makes Clark dress in the Superman costume. <laughs> and then has Alfred flo- throw the switch on the machine. And Which Alfred just dutifully does, despite the fact that it may, in fact, kill his master. But it doesn't. It transfers the gold K fever from Clark to Lex, and transfers the superpowers from Lex to Clark. So now Clark is once again Superman, and Lex is irradiated with gold kryptonite. And... Because of that, Lex says that he must leave the planet Earth because he can't be near Superman or Supergirl. As per usual, Clark Kent ruins everything for everyone by being alive. <laughs> and we end with a semi-happy ending with Lex Luthor leaving Earth, but Superman and Supergirl and Lois being a happy family with their dutiful butler, Alfred. <laughs> I I just love how Superman has just, at this point, taken everything. (laughs) Like, you have a family, you have a wife, you have Supergirl, you gotta take Alfred too. Bruce Wayne is lying in a gutter right now. And who knows where, like, Dick Grayson is? Like, where are the sidekicks? My headcanon for this is that Bruce Wayne does in fact exist, and does fight crime, as Wonder Woman. (laughs) Like, the Wayne's private jet was flying over Themyscira when it fell down. <laughs> he was taken in by the Amazons. They never told me I was different from them. That or Martha was killed by a yellow streak, and Thomas was blamed <laughs> for the murder, so oh police scientist Bruce Wayne had to decipher who really killed his mother in order to prove his father's innocence. At that point, a bat flies over, followed by an electrical storm. I am. Fast man. (laughs) So, 
as Alex said earlier, these stories just get more ridiculous as we go along. And how? Because this is where the real fun begins, guys. <laughs> yes. Yeah, unlike the last story, this is not imaginary. This is no. just some stuff that they got into. <laughs> so, it is once again a world's finest. Uh, two months later, um, it's world's finest 169 in September of 1967. It is again... Uh, written by Bates, drawn by Swan, and the title of this is The Supergirl-Batgirl Plot. And appropriate for a story this insane, it begins with Supergirl just peacefully flying through the air when suddenly she is attacked by a giant ethereal sky fist. <laughs> and because and... Supergirl has no goofs left to give, she just does battle with it. And uh, she loses. It manages to grab her, and it's cold enough to even make her cold. And that's when, driving from Gotham City on her motor scooter, <laughs> Batgirl shows up and decides to try to use her chemical bomb to free Supergirl, which backfires and just leaves goop all over the ethereal hand. Now, Corey, we can't gloss over this. The narrator is very clear that this fails despite the dominoed dare dolls gallant efforts the dominoed dare dolls gallant efforts dominoed dare doll which is a mis indestructible action suit the fact of the matter is this issue actually takes place not but a year or two away from Barbara Gordon's actual comic book debut because Barbara was actually introduced in tandem with the 60s series, the Adam West Batman series. So this is one of the original appearances of Batgirl as portrayed by Barbara Gordon. And her original catchphrase name was the Domino Dare Doll. <laughs> Which doesn't make Why a whole could... lot of sense because she doesn't wear a domino mask. No, not even a little bit. And also, because it's the original Barbara Gordon Batgirl costume, she hurls that chemical bomb from a giant, like, multi... Like, it has to weigh, like, 20 pounds <laughs> bat bag that she has attached to her bat uh, utility belt. I just love how she and, has a purse attached to her regular Batman utility belt. And, <laughs> Alex, um, for the record, it is less than a year after her introduction. Oh, so this is, like, one of the first things she did. Yeah, uh, she was introduced in January of the same year, so it's been nine months. She made her name battling that ethereal sky fist. And that will always be the first time that Supergirl and Batgirl met. It is. It absolutely is. This is the start of their long, long friendship that culminates in Batgirl delivering Supergirl's eulogy. And it all began with them encountering Master Hand from the end of Super Smash Brothers. As they're both trapped by the Hand... Supergirl decides to try to use her x-ray vision on the chemicals to see if the chemical reaction will affect the gas. And lo and behold, it does. They're free. And they decide that they make a really good team. With Barbara giving the Nixon salute. She is not a crook. <laughs> Later that day, there's a ceremony in Gotham City honoring Superman, Batman, and Robin with a time capsule <laughs> that looks like a space rocket. Which contains tiny action figures of Batman, Robin, and Superman. Because apparently Superman's whole side venture of selling those to orphans didn't work out. Well, you have to you have to give them credit, because this is several decades before eBay exists. 
Well, and it also includes the polyurethane S symbol that Superman throws at Zod in Superman 2. <laughs> Just in case Zod ever rises again in the future, the future Superman will have the perfect means to battle him. In a miniature bat plane and Batmobile. And in case people are tiny in the future, old chum. Linda, Supergirl Danvers, is watching this all unfold on live TV at her sorority house at Stanhope College, because again, we're in the future, so she's now a college student. Supergirl Power Hour is unstuck in time. Dun-dun-dun-dun. And Barbara Batgirl Gordon, daughter of Police Commissioner Gordon, watches on a pocket TV set in the Gotham City Public Library. With her Princess Leia buns. (laughs) <laughs> Ten years before Princess Leia existed, Barbara Gordon's a trendsetter. Uh, this is history being made. And the next day, at yet another ceremony, because Superman is like the president of Metropolis. All he does is just <laughs> show up at these galas. And lift things. Well, and both Supergirl and Batgirl had private inner monologues saying how they want to teach the boys a lesson that they're valuable too. And I'm like, right on, sister. Put these monsters in their place. The gala that Superman's at this time is putting the cornerstone in an already built building because that's how architecture works. And in a shocking turn of events, this does not work out (laughs) because Superman pushes it in way too hard and the building immediately begins falling over. Now see, this is the difference between Superman goofs and Supergirl goofs. When Linda goofs, it's adorable. When Clark goofs, everybody dies. So he's like, I don't know what caused this. Yes, you do. You shoved it in too hard. You're a monster. (laughs) I like how even Superman's confused at his own monstrosity. I don't know what possibly could have done this. Here, I will bend this bridge. Is there some way I can destroy you all to safety? So he goes to try to save them from the falling building, and then his powers give out. And Supergirl saves the day just in time, and uh, in her monologues to herself as they're flying away, I caused the whole thing, but Superman will never find out how. By the time I'm through tearing down the Super Oaf's image, he'll be about as popular in Metropolis as an anteater at a flea circus. And then wow. Supergirl will take over as the top crime buster. Very Dr. Phil of her. I like Kara's propensity for analogy there. <laughs> and then we cut to stately Gotham City in one of the most confusing establishing shots I've ever seen in a comic. Alex, describe this. Okay, so there's a dude standing in front of a pit that reads, Danger, Atomic Reactor. <laughs> and it's a dude just in a normal plainclothes suit with no weapon or anything, just kind of standing his ground, about to take on Batman and Robin, who are both leaping in just from nowhere with no rope or anything. And they're on top of what peer- what appears to be the smallest building ever constructed, I honestly, I'm only just now realizing they're indoors. I swear to God, when I first saw this, I thought it was an open-air skyscraper nuclear reactor. So did I. So did I. So this is indoors? It kind of looks that way. Well, it's it explains that evening at Gotham City's annual Fair of the Future, we find Batman and Robin in hot pursuit of a desperate criminal. That's the icing on the cake. Where's the fair? So... Robin charges the criminal in front of the dangerous atomic reactor, 
who dodges out of the way and then catches Robin and threatens to throw him into the reactor. And now Alex? This is... I just want to state for the record, Batman is my hero and my favorite character in fiction, and I'm about to read this out loud. Please, I beg you, don't harm Robin. I'll do anything you say. The mighty Batman on his knees, begging like a whimpering coward. Your little plea was very touching, Batman, but request tonight. He just chucks Robin into the nuclear reactor, but luckily... From a sky ride above, Batgirl, in the nick of time, lassos Robin, and then with her brown belt in judo, because she can't have a black belt, she takes down the thug, and uh, that- Batman's like, I-, I-, I wanted to save you, Robin. I, I don't know, Robin. I-, I wanted to save you, but something compelled me to fall to my knees and beg. And here we see things get kinky between Bruce and Babs decades before Bruce Tim got to them. That something was me, and the gallant Cape Crusader will soon find out his troubles are only beginning. So and we immediately cut to a dude summit at the Batcave. <laughs> a few where, days later. Where they've immediately put together that their sudden misfortunes obviously must be the fault of the women in their lives. And miles away in their own cave, Supergirl and Batgirl are meeting, and deducing that the men must know that they're behind it. So it's time for step two of their takeover. It's called Operation Takeover. Let's 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 point that out. Batgirl literally says it's Operation Takeover. This is early enough in Batgirl's career that Batman doesn't even know her secret identity. I don't even know who she is. She might be a criminal. Maybe even an alien. Because that's what all girls are to Robin. Damn it, Robin. Have a little sensitivity. You're standing in front of an alien. I mean, it's not like... I mean, I mean, some some of my best friends... I, I mean, uh, Starfire is... I I mean, it's not... I Starfire mean, you, doesn't exist yet, James. I was making a continuity error for a joke. This is a comedy podcast. <laughs> so then, Batman, Superman, and Robin the Boy Wonder form an allegiance to take down the only two women in their lives, and they are entirely heterosexual while doing so. The next day, Batman and Robin return to the Batcave, and Robin is astonished because they've gone an entire day without being upstaged by Batgirl, so he's hopeful that she's given up. Don't bet on it, Robin. She may have a bigger plot in the fire. And Oh, oh you dainty Batman! The secret tunnel entrance to the Batcave doesn't open! It's not there anymore! Perhaps the automatic controls aren't working. We'll leave the Batmobile here and enter the cave to the house. Batgirl can't have anything to do with this. She doesn't even know the Batcave's location. Can we be sure of that, Robin? I wonder... Holy vacancy, Batman! (laughs) I don't believe it. Everything in the Batcave. Stolen! And sure enough, the Batcave is completely empty. It's just a cave. And then we get... (laughs) The greatest... Troll that was ever trolled back onto Superman. So Superman's shocked, horrified expression as Supergirl makes off with the entire fortress of solitude. (laughs) (laughs) She ripped the mountain out of the ground and is flying away with it, keyhole and all. It looks like the costumed chicks have pulled off the greatest double theft in history. So, that brings us to part two of the story, as Superman 
approaches Supergirl as she is uh, flying away with the Fortress of Solitude. That's my home, Kara! And uh, she tells him she doesn't have time to chat and turns off his superpowers (laughs) as he falls to his death in the Arctic. Luckily, at the same time, just as this is happening, Batman and Robin are flying over the Arctic in their Batplane because they managed to keep the Batplane. It was parked on a concealed runway outside the Batcave. In his secret, cavier Batcave. <laughs> and there's Superman down below. Something has happened to him, Batman. Looks like he's out cold. And sure enough, Superman is face down in a snowbank. <laughs> the amount of times we've seen Superman freezing to death in the Antarctic on this show is kind of hilarious. <laughs> and Superman is just there, just beached like a whale. <laughs> Just hugging the snow, hoping the cold takes him. So they fly back to Metropolis, and uh, and Batgirl is again riding on her bat scooter and uh, plotting for the demise of Batman and Robin. Happily, break, I should say. And Batman and Robin break into an illegal poker game. No, they don't break in. Batman elbows his way in through the door like he's in Kramer. <laughs> Forgive us for not knocking. But we took the liberty of showing ourselves in. Batman and Robin, plug them! Excuse Here. me, but there's something on your chin. My fist! Which is Robin, the second you stole time that we... from last issue. <laughs> right? Listen to the nice hollow sound of those heads. I think you're enjoying this a little too much, Batman. <laughs> oh, Batman, you're so funny. So, Robin goes to call the cops from the Batplane, and, uh... A bat-shaped shadow descends on him. <laughs> As he cries, you again. I feel like this moment is every Robin's worst nightmare. The day Batman comes for them. So minutes later, Batman is confused because Robin should have been back by now. And he goes outside and Robin and the Batplane were both stolen. No, not the Batplane. And what he finds is a compact mirror with a bat signal, a bat logo over it. A special bat compact. I should have known more of Batgirl's work. She probably left his here intentionally just to taunt me. Little does Batman suspect that compressed inside of that compact is the corpse of Robin. Supergirl, no! <laughs> so, the police arrive in a helicopter and uh, take the crooks away. Well, Batman is just standing idly just without a vehicle. Can I interrupt but, you guys? No, Batman, you're a vigilante. He manages to find the Batmobile, because he left it parked outside the cave, so they should have had it all along. In his open-air dri- Batcave. He's driving back to Metropolis, and he finds... I must get Superman's help and Great guns! There he is now, hitchhiking! <laughs> so we know sure Batman enough, and Superman are close enough to exchange catchphrases. Sure enough! Superman's hitchhiking down the side of the road with a hobo beard. (laughs) It's been two hours, Superman. (laughs) And uh, he tells Batman that Supergirl stole his Clark Kent clothes from his cape's pouch. His clothes and his money. (laughs) While he was unconscious, I'm horrified by this concept. (laughs) And, And since he doesn't have his heat vision... He has no way to shave his stubble, which is why he has a hobo beard. Batman, <laughs> is there any way you can shave with your heat vision? <laughs> so they get to they get to Wayne Manor, and Batman takes off his cowl because he has to go inside and 
get some things. <laughs> yeah, there's no explanation given. He just says, I have to pick up some things at home. <laughs> He's just apparently going to walk into Wayne Manor as Batman, but with the cowl dropped so no one will recognize him. But as he takes off his cowl, he is not Bruce Wayne anymore. He's some unknown ginger man. <laughs> Do you know who he is, Corey? I no. swear he is the spitting image of what will one day be Guy Gardner. Oh, before no! the bull He punches himself in the face. <laughs> one punch. One punch. Black Canary comes out of nowhere and says, I missed it. As they're driving back into Gotham, the old song comes true and the Batmobile loses a wheel. And this time, the Joker is nowhere to be seen, so that's just on them. The Batmobile careens into a light pole, and they switch out the tire with the spare, which is also flat. Okay, I'm going to point something out here. In the first panel, Batman says the Batmobile's tires are blowout-proof, but he has a spare tire, just in case. Batman thinks of everything. I stand corrected. Now that they're vehicle-less, Hobo Batman and Hobo Superman have to walk through town, and they walk by a white picket fence... Wondering out loud where the conniving females are. Which is Mort Weisinger's tenure on Superman in a single line of dialogue. <laughs> and from out from behind the fence comes Supergirl and Batgirl, who uh Supergirl challenges Superman to a race, giving him his powers back and a shave. <laughs> and they go into space, and Supergirl begins lobbing meteors at him. And one of the meteors has kryptonite in it, and Superman's confused because it doesn't affect her. And to test his theory, he picks up a rock and just lobs it at her forehead. Lobs it at her forehead hard enough that the rock breaks in two. Oh, I killed her. Anyway. And it knocked her out, and he catches her and realizes that she is wearing a Supergirl mask and wig. Which he then rips off her face to reveal another mask. <laughs> As underneath the mask of Supergirl, it was the Black Flame, who is a villainess of the Bottle City of Candor, who we will meet in the future. I just want to take a moment to reflect on the fact that the Black Flame wears a domino mask. She's playing Supergirl, not Batgirl, who is referred to as the Dominoed Daredoll. Comic so, books are stupid. In Gotham, the great bat battle is taking place. How do you want to fight? I can't use my fists on a girl. But Batman, the hammers of justice are supposed to be unisex. Our fight will soon be over as I blow my bat whistle. <laughs> and the whistle had created sonic waves that broke loose a giant pair of scissors from the sewing shop sign that are falling at Batman and almost kill him. A batarang with a bat rope attached should wrap up our little contest. <laughs> Good one, Batman. And so he goes to see who Batgirl is under the mask and rips it off, and it also has a wig attached. Because underneath is who else but... Great guns. Selena Kyle, the Catwoman. Meow, darling. I like how you're both so eager to do that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's Catwoman, Alex. <laughs> so... It turns out that Supergirl was the Black Flame, and Catwoman was masquerading as Batgirl. And, uh, Alex, do you want to explain how Catwoman got Batman to fall to his knees and beg? Well, as Catwoman herself explains, his cowardice was induced by a special variety of catnip she developed. <laughs> she used batnip. 
to make him a coward. So they find Supergirl and Batgirl tied to chairs. Supergirl is tied there with green kryptonite, of course. And uh, as Batman is going to rescue them, they get vaporized. No! By the real Supergirl and Batgirl, because those were lifelike <gasps> dummies. And they have been imprisoned in another dimension for the last several days. And they finally broke free. And as they turn around, Batgirl and Supergirl, or the Black Flame and Catwoman, as it were at this point, turn into Mr. Mixius Pitlick and Batmite. <gasps> Seriously, I have whiplash. Plot whiplash. From these three pages. There was a triple reveal. And also, so, the stall takes place on the moon. And Superman was dead the whole time. So, it turns out that Batmite and Mr. Mixius Pitlick had made a bet on whether Batman would fall for Mixie's plot. And since Mixie won, Batmite has to write him a check for a hundred magic units. Batmite signs the check with his real name, Kilt Pixiesum. Oh, wait! And Batmite then returns to the fifth dimension as well, and that's the end of the story. Well, no, no, no. There's, there's one final thing we need to point out. Batman's final line in the story. As Robin might say, that kind of fun might drive us batty. <laughs> Which, you know, I just realized something. <laughs> Robin is still missing. It might drive us back. World's world's greatest detective. World's greatest comedians, more like it. Oh, uh, I want to hang out with you, Batman. God, you're a fun guy. You're you're a fun guy, Batman. I just want to know where Robin is because he's still missing. He's, he's dead. dead. Oh, time to bring in Jason Todd. All right, and might now drive us back for our last story of the day. Or Maximum Comic Book Stupid. Uh, it's from World's Finest 176, published in June of 1968, written by Terry Bates, and the art on this one. Oh, Drawn by Neil Adams. <laughs> in one of his first DC gigs, if I'm not mistaken. Well, one of his first superhero gigs. He did a bunch of like comedy books and war books. Before oh yeah, this. he was still par- he was still like penciling Jerry Lewis at around this time, wasn't he? Right, Jerry Lewis and Bob Hope, the original World's Finest, and like Our Worlds at War and Star Spangled Heroes. I think were two of the other books that he did a bunch of. But this is his second Batman story. His second Batman story is the Batman Superman split, and the art really does look really fantastic. It's Neil Adams at his earliest, but it's still Neil Adams. It's still fantastic. It is Um, fascinating just how much the landscape of comics changed in such a short amount of time in this period, because we're jumping ahead to 1968, and the... Talk about whiplash in the last story. The artistic whiplash you get from just a couple of issues ago to this is astounding, it feels like you jumped over a time barrier. Oh yeah, even the panel layouts are astronomically different from how they were. Yeah, we are getting really close to the Bronze Age here. So we are, at this point, we are getting into the more modern storytelling conventions. So 
the story opens with Clark Kent going to interview a famous actor named uh, Ronald Jason. And uh, Jason, during the course of the interview, accuses Clark Kent of being Superman. Then, as with any actor of his generation, throws a ball of clothes-dissolving liquid at him, revealing his Superman costume. This entire sequence is four panels. This story does not waste time. Once again, a chemical bomb is utilized, which is the second chemical bomb in this entire episode. Heaven forbid he be wrong about his assumption, because he would have just killed Clark Kent. God knows, I bothered Brad Pitt at an airport once, and he chemical bombed the shit out of me. I was lucky to leave alive. Sure enough, Superman's identity is revealed, and... That's when Ronald Jason shows Superman that he is not, in fact, Ronald Jason, as he pulls off his lifelike Ronald Jason mask <laughs> to reveal an alien. Great galaxies! An alien! That's when you know shit's gotten real. They've left guns behind. And he tells Superman that he needs help because he is his planet's vice president, but the actual president has been murdered. So he is now the president, and he fears for his life, because whoever assassinated his boss is probably going to try to assassinate him as well. So he has come to Earth to be hidden by Superman and protected by Superman. This and is the Superman... exact reason Biden has that signal watch at all times. True story. So Superman takes him to the Fortress of Solitude, because the Fortress is a safe spot where nobody else can get. And... This giant key. Also, once again, Superman takes him to the Fortress of Solitude in a standard mode of travel, wrapping him up in a cape like a dead body. Later that same day, in the Batcave... While Batman is apparently listening to some Zep, he's wearing headphones on top of his mask. Great guns! An alien intruder in the Batcave! Hello, Batman! I don't know why I went with that voice. I like also, that voice. We should point out... Batman, always being the street-level hero, still goes with great guns. Galaxies is a bit much for him. So, this alien looks very much like the other alien, and he explains to Batman that he is a law enforcer from a distant planet, and that their most dangerous criminal has fled to Earth, and he has been sent to apprehend him. So, we have two conflicting stories here, one of a fleeing political figure and one of a fleeing criminal. Which one do you think is real, dear listeners? And so begins World's Finest Civil War. Dun, dun, dun. This alien has come to Batman because he's the world's greatest detective, and he knows he can help apprehend the killer. And Batman laments that Robin is off on a Teen Titans mission, so he can't help. He's off hanging out with all of his alien friends he has now. He's totally alive. I, I haven't gotten rid of him or anything. He just <laughs> died on a mission horrifically. The alien law enforcement agent tells Batman that Superman has been tricked into aiding him, and Batman realizes that with Superman in the other alien's corner, he's going to need some help. So he flies off to Stanhope College to meet up with Linda, Supergirl Danvers, who is looking mod as all get out because it's the late 60s and she looks really fashionable now. Oh, she's straight up John Romita here. Supergirl goes and meets up with Batman, and... Who explains to her the whole spiel. We'll have to battle my own cousin to apprehend the alien crook. Oh, I guess we'll just have to kill him. <laughs> what do you mean? I, I, I wanted to bring him in alive. Like you did, Robin. We don't talk about that. 
I know all your secrets, Batman. And I'm real. So she tells Batman that the Fortress of Solitude is probably where he's hiding the alien criminal, which you would no think shit, Batman Sherlock. would... <laughs> you would think Batman would figure that out. He's been to the Fortress in this very episode multiple times. Superman always drugs me afterwards. The alien law enforcement agent says that he can't go with Batman and Superman and has to rendezvous with his other agents, but he'll meet them there when he can. So they fly up to the Fortress of Solitude with Supergirl giving Batman's Batplane a boost because she's faster than it. So Batman just hits the back of the Batplane and becomes mush. (laughs) (laughs) This is a good death! And she's about to open the Fortress. As Batman is sitting there, freezing to death. I'm freezing. Hurry with that giant key, Supergirl. This is no steam room, you know. Hold your horses a sec, Batman. I just hope Superman is away, and Durr is alone in here. Then we'll have no trouble capturing him. Back off, Supergirl! You and Batman had better keep out of my fortress! Superman, you don't understand! It won't help to talk to him. We'll have to take aggressive action. And then Supergirl straight up slams him in the face with his own stupid key. (laughs) And bends it, so it's now useless. And nobody will ever get into the Fortress of Solitude again. (laughs) Meanwhile, cut to Batman getting into the Fortress of Solitude again. (laughs) Leave it to Batman to be sneaky in the Antarctic. Sure enough, he sees the, the alien looking at the Bottle City of Kandor, and Superman takes out Supergirl and chucks her back to America. Where she belongs. And Batman takes out the alien just in time to have an alien birdcage thrown at him, foiling his plan. It's funny, I'd always assumed I'd use this on Kikara. Batman has the most appropriate reaction to this, which is, huh? (laughs) Batman, in reference to this entire story. And uh, so Superman takes the alien away, and leaves Batman in his giant birdcage. I feel like we should do the exchange that they do here, because it's, I just find this very sad. <laughs> Sorry, Batman, but this is one time I have to fight you. I really regret it, but you're backing the wrong man. Same here, old buddy. Only you're the one who's on the wrong side. As he says from a giant birdcage. <laughs> <laughs> and a minute later, Supergirl returns. And gets Batman out of the cage as Superman pulls a Supergirl a thousand miles away, burrowing into the ground to make a new cave to hide his alien in. And Superman immediately decides that if he and Batman are going to tangle again, he'll need a teammate of his own and flies off to seek her out. And I was joking at the start of this about the Civil War comparisons, but this is where it gets kind of spooky. God, if only Superman then showed up with Booster Gold sleeping in the back of a van. Oh, we're here. Hey, it's Superman. So a statue of General Grant in Gotham City Park starts moving, scaring all the innocent bystanders and getting on the news so that Barbara Gordon, back home with her Princess Leia buns, because she apparently (laughs) never changes her hairstyle. Like, even drawn by Neil Adams, she looks ridiculous. Little do they know, those are actually headphones tuned into police scanners. Tell me that's not in character for Babs. It really is. So, she gets on her bat scooter and goes to confront the 
General Grant statue, which busts out of the bronze coating to reveal himself to be Superman. Aha! I knew you wouldn't believe it was me unless I tricked you. The single dumbest panel of Superman I have ever seen, of him with his arms outstretched just bursting out of that statue of General Grant. The South will rise again, Batgirl. (laughs) So... He's like, I didn't know your civilian identity, so I had to figure out a way to contact you. So he briefs her on what's going on, and no questions asked, she's on his side, because apparently Batman is just as much of a jerk to her as Superman is to Supergirl. So we cut to the next day, when Jimmy Olsen, cub reporter, is returning to his apartment, when out of the shadows (laughs) comes Robin! Oh, who's there? Robin! I tried to contact you earlier today about the feud between Batman and Superman, but you were away with the TT. Yes, I just returned, and I found out about the big hassle. Come on, maybe we can make some sense out of it at the Eerie. So, at Robin and Jimmy's secret headquarters, because they team up enough to have their own secret headquarters, I guess. The Fortress of Shame. (laughs) So, they have secret monitor hookups in the Fortress of Solitude in the Batcave. I use it to watch Batman. They tune into the Batcave one as Batman and Superman are leaving their alien behind. And the next page, we get a horrified expression from both of them. Look at the screen. So that's the secret of the two aliens. I'd never guessed it. We must get to Superman and Batman and tell them the truth. Watch it, Robin. Pellet's falling. And then a pellet falls down and they are gassed. And And then they're dead forever. And we cut back to Supergirl and Batman, who have found the new secret hiding spot by using the Justice League signaler in Superman's belt. God damn it, Superman! (laughs) Can you remove the low jack from the giant S symbol? (laughs) Also, can we talk for a second, Alex, about Batman's pose in this panel? (laughs) I was really hoping you would, because... Batman is flat-out twerking. Feels like I'm wearing nothing at all. Stupid, sexy Batman. (laughs) It's like, even back then, was there a moratorium on Batman sitting? I just like how it looks like he's just... He's trying to be like a crab or something. (laughs) So... On the next page, we get one of the biggest tropes in Batman-Superman fights. In that Batman is putting on kryptonite gloves, only instead of gauntlets, like the Frank Miller version, these are dishwashing gloves. They're literally nothing but dishwashing gloves. Look at that image and tell me those are not dishwashing gloves. And because of putting those on, Batman now has cancer. (laughs) That is a long-standing continuity error. As much kryptonite as Batman has handled over the years, he should be dead a hundred times over. He has a whole room full of every type. Well, that's why he's constantly taking these orphans in. He's sterile. (laughs) So, he sacrifices the alien by having him shoot Superman and distract him long enough for Batman to tackle him and then beat the crap out of him with his kryptonite gloves, distracting him long enough for Supergirl to break into the cave, only to be stopped by a can of spray glue. Which Supergirl then gets herself out of by evaporating it with her heat beams. Apparently they learned what the hell x-rays were by then. And immediately just hurls Batgirl to her death. 
<laughs> off the edge of a cliff. Like, that's not even an exaggeration. It flat out shows Babs just flailing through the air in the next panel. Just, oh. Off the cliff. And Superman is too weak to rescue her, so it's up to Batman, who then breaks her back. Like, all like, that stuff about the Joker, that was just Batman's cover story. It was Batman. Because I swear to God, look at this panel of him catching her. The caption says, Instant reflexes and steely muscle react as the Cape Crusader springs into action. He's just breaking her back Bane style. And at that moment, Batman is captured. When Superman takes off his cape and uses it as a rubber band to snag Batman. Dun, 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 dun. I just love how this is the only time Superman makes mention of the fact that his cape is stretchable. And at that moment, the alien cop collapses and admits that he is dying and that he has fooled them all. And to look closely at his face because it is only a head mask. Corey, 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 before this reveal... I want us to take a moment to reflect on this story. <laughs> Up until this point, by late 60s standards, this is this is pretty high quality. This is entertaining. It's goofy, but you have uh, the basic structure of a good Batman-Superman story. You have Batman-Superman not really wanting to go at each other, but being ripped apart by a very complex situation, which tugs at their own specific points of view. Superman is trying to defend a refugee from another world. That really hits him where he lives. Batman is trying to help another lawman bring forth what he believes to be a murderer. So it's the two ideologies of these characters being put to the limit with their own sidekicks being used against them. And then we get this. As they peel off the mask to reveal that it is actually the actor Ronald Jason who has been both aliens all along. Alex, I would like you to explain the stupidest scheme that has ever happened in the history of comic books. So, Ronald Jason, an actor, had a, had a late brother named Desmond Jason, who was a brilliant scientist, and about a month ago, he was showing Ronald some inventions and discoveries, including a miniature jetpack, just out of nowhere, and there's an artificial radioactive element that his brother has created. But that's not his greatest discovery. His brother reveals to him that he's been working with voice prints that are distinctive as fingerprints. <laughs> so the two use recordings of Batman and Superman and voice recordings of Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent to discover that Bruce Wayne is Batman and Clark Kent is Superman. The radioactive element explodes <laughs> and just, first of all, kills his brother and gives him a life-threatening radiation sickness that will kill him within a few weeks. Now, with all of that in mind, and him knowing the identities of Batman and Superman, he decides, I'm going to fool those two into believing I am two alien beings as a bid to embark on my greatest last performance as an actor. <laughs> I have never, in my 26 years, most of them literate, seen so much compounded, stupid, 
in a single work of fiction. And all of this, by the way, we should really repeat, drawn by Neil Adams. So it, so it <laughs> looks know. epic. It looks epic, but it sounds stupid. <laughs> and so he has used masks and weird outfits and the aforementioned jetpack to trick all four of the crime fighters into his plot. God, could you imagine Civil War if this was Baron Zemo's plan? <laughs> I have goofed you, Avengers. <laughs> so, at that moment, as Jason dies, Jimmy and Robin finally get there to tell them the truth, that they realize that it was one alien all along, and that they would have been there sooner, but something had delayed them by knocking them out. And at that moment, Superman's like, yeah, it was me. Superman has known all along because nobody out pranks Superman. <laughs> and Batman has also known all along. Because he's just a dick. <laughs> and they have been playing along because they wanted Jason to die happy. <laughs> the only two that didn't know were the girls. And they are horrified because Supergirl legitimately tried to kill Batgirl. She was convinced that this was real, so her first instinct was to throw Batgirl off a cliff. It's how you taught me, Cousin Superman. So, the story ends with them having a memorial for Jason and lamenting about his private greatest performance. And we can only assume that after the story takes place... There's reports of a Ronald Jason statue roaming the streets, and <laughs> surprise, it's Superman. Uh, yes, yes. I have contempt for all that lives. For our super female portion of today's episode, we have a letter from one of the world's finest issues. Dear Editor, why can't Robin hit it off with Midvale's marvelous maid, Supergirl? They can make quite a torrid twosome. Robin has certainly been around much longer than the Kryptonian cutie, but she is now the Elder, a college student, while he's still in high school. Please tack a few inches, pounds, and chin hairs on the boy wonder to catch him up with Stanhope's super sweetheart. Then the far-famed female could visit Gotham City on holidays, or get a summer job, maybe as a Vicky Vale-type news hen. After that, you can do away with the ek With the ek Haired. Yep. After that, you can do away with the egg-haired Dick Malvern, fish-tailed Jero, half-horsed Bronco Bill, and Emerald Visage Brainiac 5. Robin has no steady sweetie yet, so how about it? Selena Zane, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Robin is... One fellow who likes to feel protective around girls. He could never flip for a femme who was stronger than he, and one who can juggle mountains and smash asteroids. <laughs> Be completely out of the question. Oh. Now, I just want to take a moment to discuss that letter. Because <laughs> Selena Zane of Phoenixville, you have a way with words. <laughs> Midvale's oh. marvelous maid, Kryptonian cutie. The Stanfield super sweetheart. Far-famed female. News hen. Heck-haired Dick Malvern. Fishtail Jero. Half-held, half-horse Bronco Pill. And Emerald Visaged Brainiac 5. 
Dominoed Dare Doll. <laughs> Indestructible, Indestructible action suit. Action suit. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, anyway, that is our show for this month. We will be back next month with the resolution to the cliffhanger we left you with last month. In a glorious alex episode. Yes, I'll be gone. We will finally see Supergirl revealed to the world, and possibly some other great changes in the Marvelous Maid's life. But until then, you can check us out on S-Girl Power Hour at Twitter, and on SupergirlPowerHour.com for the excellent show notes compiled by Corey Monthly. And you can find me at F-Yeah-Supergirl on Tumblr, or at CoreyMarie21 on Twitter. You can also, now that Supergirl Season 2 has returned, uh, you can find my weekly episode recaps at SupergirlTVTalk.com, where I have made my glorious return. Uh, and you can also check out their fantastic Supergirl podcast um, that they do weekly to review the episodes as well. And I also recommend Supergirl Radio, because you can listen to both. Both and talk you about were on the show. it that one time. Don't bury the lead. I was. I I write for one, and I was a guest on the other, so... That's a conflict of Supergirl interest, Corey. Yeah. And but. you can check me out on Twitter at MondoFunky and at Graphic Novelism. And you can also check me out on Graphic Novelism without the at. The podcast I co-host with Alex Cook over here. Hey. Hey. And you can listen to those episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and at GraphicNovelism.com. And also check out this and many other fine shows at TheBoltPodcastNetwork.wordpress. Dot com. We would love to hear from you, so go ahead and tweet us or email us, whatever. And Alex is personally terrified by the modern entanglements of social media we all find ourselves in. He's also terrified of Streaky the Supercat. I am. I'm very terrified of that cat. It's evil. It is evil. Evil? Me? <laughs> Good night, everybody. I don't feel comfortable anymore. Stay mighty, Alex. Superman, no! This has been a Pulp Podcast production. There are a lot of issues that plague the <laughs> Greetings and salutations, kiddos. It's me, your old goblin in crime, Roderick Kingsley, here with a special message for you, my adoring public. You may have noticed lately in my many, many appearances that I've had a bit of a spring in my pointy-booted step. No, boys and girls, the secret to my success is no wonder drug or mere miracle diet, but an elixir of the spirit. And, like a Halloween-themed Jehovah's Witness, I'm here to spread the good news like a bombardment of pumpkin bombs. The good news of graphic novelism. But, Uncle Hobgoblin, you ask, what is a graphic novelism? Don't interrupt me, you little shit! But yes, the tenets of graphic novelism are quite simple. A love for the comic book form in all of its forms. A rejection of the complacency that keeps it from reaching further heights. And, most importantly, a refusal to fall into the dark pool of negativity that has strangled the life out of this culture for too long. Since becoming a devout graphic novelist, I've rebuilt my goblin game from the ground up. 
soaring high above my fears and insecurities, as though they were the skyline of New York City. And all you have to do to walk this path is look deep within yourself and send your credit card number care of Roddy the OG Hobby at gobmail.com. Or if you want to be a total Norman about it, just listen to the Graphic Novelism Podcast, where Alex Cook, James Lewis, and Mike Nate Nate Napier preach their love for the medium and warn against those that may do it harm. Remember, ladies and gents, if you want to be the hobgoblin of whatever it is that you do, listen to Graphic Novelism. Subscribe to it on iTunes and The Stitcher. Leave a rating and a comment. Give Hobgoblin all of your money. And for God's sake, kill Spider-Man! Another episode. That was just a little taste of graphic novelism. <laughs>